Welcome in to the Eagles Really Must Suck edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I am caddy of the show, Armando Salguero, star of the show, Adam Beasley. How was your Thanksgiving, brother? Oh, it was fantastic. It was great. Turkey, the works, cranberry sauce, stuffing, some late night shopping at Walmart. It was traditional like no other. That is that is great. That is sounds uh, amazing. I, I'm glad that you're a traditionalist, seeing as that your ancestors were on the Mayflower. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you went with the turkey and the fixins, uh, and you didn't do anything South Florida-ish like stone crabs or something nutty like that. No, no. Uh, my great 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 grandfather Edgar was the one that had the idea of stuffing with turkey. And so uh, i got to be true to the family. Very good. Very good. My great-great-grandfather, uh, Juan, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, man. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if your great-great-great-great-grandfather was like uh, Huntington? Was, if you had a Huntington in your family? Uh, no, I did not have a Huntington in my family. Uh, actually... Uh, you're you're not gonna believe this, but so uh, my lineage goes back to obviously to uh, Spain, Asturias, the Asturias region of Spain, and um, so apparently my uh, my forefathers were among the ones that fought back uh, after the the you know. They Spain was kind of overrun uh, by invaders, and they kind of fought back. And you know, there you go. I know. Na- I know now where your fighting spirit comes from, Armando. <laughs> my fighting spirit. Yes, my fighting spirit in the buffet line. <laughs> I'm gonna get to that chicken. Your uh, your elbows are as sharp as anyone's. <laughs> so the Miami Dolphins pull this amazing upset over the Philadelphia Eagles, and that game, that win tells you what, Adam? Uh, well, it's their best win of the year, no question. Uh, the Eagles are a better team than the Jets. They played a more complete game. Armando, they scored on six straight possessions, not including the end of the half kneel down. And it would have been uh, six straight possessions to end the game, uh, but they tried to run out the clock at the end, which was the only failure they had that entire afternoon. Uh, gave the ball back to Philadelphia, but no, it was it was awesome. It was it was great. It was a complete win. They got stops on defense. The offense looked fantastic. Um, I was stunned. It was unlike anything we've seen all season. Uh, here is a, a stat that says everything you need to know about that game. The Eagles were up twenty-eight to fourteen. In the third quarter, they ran the ball seven times in the second half. Oh, are you kidding me? They averaged 4.8 yards per run, but ran it only seven times oh. in the second half. Eesh. Well, they deserve to lose then. Doug Peterson must have lost his mind. He was like, you know, true story, Doug Peterson uh, was a Dolphins you know, third-string quarterback once upon a, a time. And he was the backup to Scott Mitchell, who was the backup to Dan Marino. And way back then, young Armando and other reporters were given the Dolphins practice field 
every Thursday afternoon after practice, and we would have touch football games every Thursday afternoons, and the coaches, the assistant coaches would come out and watch us play. <laughs> Amazingly. And it got to the point where some Dolphins people would get involved, and it got to the point where Doug Peterson would draw plays for one team, and Scott Mitchell would draw plays for the other team. It was uh, it was a fun time. Okay, well, the question is, who was the better play caller? Well, uh, so <laughs> I understand now because Doug Peterson only drew up passing plays. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is. There it is. Did you guys have – you must have had some epic injuries. I mean, a bunch of – well, I mean, you were young, but there were probably some older guys that were involved, a bit out of shape, trying to relive old glories, and boom, there goes the hamstring. Um, I don't remember that. I don't remember too many injuries at all. Maybe because we were all running the six, eight, forty-yard dash. <laughs> but, but it was it was a good time. It was you know five on five and um just just a good time. And and Doug Peterson's team often you know had the measure of Dan Marino's team. But on Sunday, ugh, whoa, yikes. yikes. Yikes, man. Okay, the question is this. Um, Is this the start of a rocket ship ascent for the rest of the 2019 season for the Dolphins, or is this going to be the high watermark? Well, so you're thinking that the Dolphins, who play the mighty New York Jets on Sunday in New York, and then follow that up with the mighty New York Giants the following Sunday – and then follow it up with the ever-mighty Cincinnati Bengals the following Sunday. Are you saying they could win three games in a row? Well, four, because they've already won one. <laughs> um, no, I do not think that I, at all. Two of those three games are on the road in cold-weather stadiums where the Dolphins have historically struggled, at least in the last 20 years. Uh, I wish I could say... Hooray! We're off to the races, but uh, I think Adam Gates is going to get his revenge on Sunday. It's interesting because um, the the narrative has shifted, has it not, with sure. this, this team? Um, I don't notice a lot of people getting on social media and a lot of reporters going, "This sucks! They're winning! It's terrible!" I, I don't get too much of that anymore. Am I well, wrong? You know, you're right, but it's because we're resigned to the fact that they're not getting the number one pick. That that went out the window the second uh, Jacoby Brissett was ruled out of Dolphins-Colts because Ryan Hoyer, whoo, is bad. So, um, yeah, it would be nice for them to have the highest pick possible. But at this point, I think more or less the, the, the assembled media just marvels at this team producing at any level, let alone a pretty high level on Sunday, with nothing – Nothing. Armando, still go through the roster. There are 20 to 25 players that won't be in the league in 2020. There are guys that aren't that would not be in football if not for the Miami Dolphins. And they've won three games with them. I, what does that tell you? Uh, it tells me a bunch of stuff, uh, mostly about not those guys, but about the coaching staff. It tells me they're pretty solid. Uh, you know, so Devontae Parker is having – a renaissance, and not really a renaissance, but a breakout because he's never been this good, and I think that leads directly to Carl Durrell. 
And more more beyond that, I think it also leads directly to Sean Jefferson because Jefferson was the uh, wide receiver coach previous to Carl Durrell. And I don't think Jefferson appreciated Devontae Parker very much. And I think the coaching in that room of Devontae Parker had a lot to do with him losing confidence, not really responding, and now this year doing quite the opposite. I think that's fair. I think Devontae Parker got what a lot of players need, which is a fresh start, and he got that fresh start without going anywhere. He got a new quarterback, he got a new head coach, he got a new receivers coach, and he got a new contract. He got the fresh start that most free agents hope for, and he didn't have to move. And I think we're seeing the benefits of it. And, of course, all this would not have happened if his body didn't respond. I mean, if this was the injured Devontae Parker of, what, 2014 through 2018 and 2015 through 2018, we would be talking about the same old Devontae and why they bring him back and all that. Uh, He's healthy, and he's really good, and he's got a quarterback who will just throw the ball wherever he is. If he's in single coverage, he doesn't care how close the quarterback is. He's just going to throw it up. The other thing you raised is the fact that they're not going to have the first overall pick. And I would say to you, okay, so what? Uh, You know, so what? Uh, I'm not all that a flutter about missing out uh, on the first overall pick because Andrew Luck ain't walking through (laughs) those doors. I'm sorry. I know you're a big Joe Burrow fan, Joey Burrow on Twitter. Uh, I, you know. He's good. I don't think he's awesome. Let's uh, let's take a second to uh, hear from our sponsors, but I've got a rebuttal of that. All right, three, three, two, one. We're back, and Armando, I agree largely with you that this is not a year that you have to have the number one pick in the draft, but I think it would be nice to. I think it would be nice to have your pick of quarterbacks at least if you're gung-ho on getting a quarterback this year, which I'm kind of starting to think they may not be. I think that if they end up with the the fifth or sixth pick, fourth, fifth, or sixth pick, and they don't love Justin Herbert, and they're really worried about Tua's hip, they're going to punt. And I know it's going to drive you crazy, but they'll take a position of need where they'll be stacked. There's good linemen on both sides of the ball. There's really good receivers. There's good running backs in this draft. There are a lot of ways that they could go if they don't have a top two or three pick, which by the week it's looking more and more likely. I think they're going to end up four or five at this point. And, yeah, they can draft a quarterback late first, early second, but it's not a guy that they're going to have to ride or die with, that if it doesn't pan out that 2021 they'll be back in the market. So, yeah, I've come around to the idea that they're not going to get the best quarterback in the draft. It's taken me a month and a half, two months of winning by then to, to make me realize it's not going to happen. Um, but I think they have a pretty decent plan B. And that is to not pick a quarterback? <laughs> at, least with, at, least with plan the, B? at least with their first draft pick. Okay, so let's, let's do that exercise. Suppose they have the fourth overall pick, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're saying Joe, Joey Burrow goes one or two, Chase Young goes one or two. Somebody, you know, picks somebody at three. Andrew and Thomas or, or Bill the Blank, yeah. 
Right. And at four, the Miami Dolphins pick a running back or a or a wide receiver. No, what they would what they would do in that scenario is trade back to a team that loves Justin Herbert. And this is assuming they don't love Justin Herbert. Maybe they do. Which we've gone, we we've spent a lot of time on that topic. I just think it would be a mistake to take Herbert in the top five. But uh, assuming they're not in love with him, there will be a team that will be in love with him, and there will be a team that is willing to give up a first round pick this year and a first round pick next year for the right to to, to draft Justin Herbert. And the Dolphins will continue to build this huge stockpile of draft picks. That's I, I know in his heart what Chris Greer wants to do. He wants to have a complete team with as many high picks as possible. And I also know that Chris Greer is not going to tie himself to a quarterback that he's only lukewarm on because he's only going to have one chance to get it right at the highest level. And why, why are we ignoring the possibility of taking Tua at number four? Here's a question for you. Why did the Dolphins pass on Lamar Jackson like 31 other teams did? Well, uh, I think they passed on him because they didn't have a vision for what is currently happening with Lamar Jackson. I think that's fair, and I think also part of it was, do we think this guy can hold up over 16 games? Which, I, I, honestly, I think is still a fair question. I think at some point he's going to get popped, he's a smaller guy, and he's going to get hurt. It's just the nature of the National Football League. Um I think that played a role in it as well. And so the same staff that, that had hesitation of taking uh, of trading back to the first round, I know they wouldn't have done it for Lamar, but there are ways if you love Lamar Jackson to get it and not at 11 or whatever they picked two years ago. Um, a team that passed that way is going to take a quarterback who was made of glass at number four. I, I, I think there's going to be some real reservations. Keep in mind, Chris Greer still learned at the foot of Bill Parcells. Do you think Bill Parcells would take a quarterback that's had three surgeries in a year and a half? I know that Bill Parcells took a quarterback who was six foot tall and 104 pounds, and he got knocked the bleep out against the Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) So, uh, you know, sometimes guys do strange things despite all of their philosophical rejoiners about, <laughs> you know, we're going to take prototypical-sized guys. Uh, I, I do believe that Chris Greer took uh, from uh, Jakeem Grant. <laughs> so, well, that was in the sixth round. If you can get two in the sixth round, I think it's pretty good value. No, I'm not – well, but there's a difference between the quarterback that has lit up the SEC and a wide receiver who, you know, was okay, not great, not stunning. Uh, So I understand, but I wouldn't just dismiss the Tua thing because here's what I think will happen, Adam. Tua is not going to be weight-bearing for three months starting two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So that puts them in February, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, by mid-February, what you're likely to hear is Tua is ahead of schedule, <laughs> he's a stud, and he is back to, you know, uh, football activities, he's rehabbing. By March, he is going to go to the to the Combine, and he will answer questions, and he will light up those interviews. And by April, he will do pro days. He will, you know, come out to camps. 
um, for the various teams. I don't know if he'll work out for them, but he'll go to their facilities. And by draft day, I predict Tua Tagovailoa will have rehabilitated that whole I'm made of glass and I've had three surgeries in the last two years and uh, I'm very, um, you know, watch out for my durability because I'm very delicate and fragile. That whole thing, when a team that needs a quarterback is on the clock, they're going to find a way to forget some of that. You're probably right because it just takes one team and it might just take this team. But the team that takes them is going to be holding its breath every single Absolutely. time. Every every single time a tackle misses a block. No doubt. Because their entire franchise could go down the tubes with one bad hit. And I know that's I know that's true of any quarterback, but some quarterbacks can handle hits like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is a freight train when he has the ball in his hands. Some quarterbacks can handle hits and some quarterbacks can't. And uh Tua it could change. But the evidence we have is he's not a guy that can hold up to a lot of penalty. Well, if that's, you know, it's interesting because Mike Tannenbaum, the former executive vice president in charge of everything for the Miami Dolphins the last couple of years, uh, he suggested that the Dolphins should take Justin Herbert because he's six foot six and 240 pounds and durability is a big deal. And I love Mike, good guy. But I would say that's not the reason that you draft a quarterback in the first round. No. I know durability is a big deal, but if that's if that's what I'm doing, I'm just going to go out and draft a fat set six foot eight guy and three hundred and fifty two pounds, and he's going <laughs> to play quarterback every week. Except he's going to suck. Yeah, it doesn't have to be an either or proposition. He can be really good and really durable, and. I know that those guys don't grow on trees, and I know the Dolphins hope they're not picking their top five again anytime soon, so this might be you know, a once-a-decade shot for them. But I also do know this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime shot for Chris Greer, and it's probably – it might be once-in-a-lifetime shot for Brian Flores. Uh, coaches get second chances. GMs don't. By and large, if you're a GM and you, and you crap out, unless your name's Steve Ross, you're not giving that guy another chance. And and I think he is – we know Greer is a cautious man by nature. This is a guy who's never had a sip of alcohol in his entire life. He is cautious, cautious, cautious. He's going to risk it all on an injury risk. At, well, at, let me at, ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. The Miami Dolphins with three first-round draft picks in the 2019 draft and having um, authored – the most devastating, the most unhappy, the most joyless season ever in Dolphins history because there was no hope from the beginning. Mm -hmm. They're going to go into that draft and get no quarterback in the first round? I mean, there's a big difference between taking a guy four and taking a guy 25. Yeah, how do you know he's going to be there at 25? Well, you don't. You oh, don't, but there are other options. Those aren't the other only three quarterbacks on the planet. I mean, oh, well, are, yeah, you can you can draft jo- Jordan Love or whatever his name is, and wait for three years for him to develop. I think, yeah, I know, I, I agree, I agree. There, there are a 
tough spot. It's the reason they get paid millions of dollars to make those tough decisions that, I mean, it would, uh, it, it would keep me up night after night after night if I had to make that decision. I just, I think that if we've learned anything from this team, and certainly we learned anything from the New England Patriots, is that there's more than one way to get it done. And I'm not saying you're going to bet on getting a guy in the sixth round who turns out to be a Hall of Famer, but they found Jacoby Brissett in the second round. They found, or maybe it was even the third, they found Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round. All those guys are starting quarterbacks for other teams, and Jimmy Garoppolo might go to the Super Bowl. But that's so apples and oranges, Adam, because Jimmy Garoppolo sat for three years, and mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett, uh, you know, he didn't sit for three years, but he sat behind the master. Who's the guy that's going to get drafted by the Dolphins? He's there's going to be pressure to hey, uh, dude, um, we need a quarterback, and we're playing games this Sunday. Could you play for us? That's, yeah, that's yes, 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 unless something happens like Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Newton. There are going to be quarterbacks out there that are veterans that aren't, you know, terrible. I mean, Cam Newton was an MVP four years ago. Aren't terrible? Who's going to get rid of Cam Newton? Well, the, the, the Panthers could move on. I mean, there were, there were whispers that he's running his course. Kyle out. Allen? There are other options out there. There, there, there will be veteran quarterbacks available, and so yes, if you're if you're if you're asking uh, Jordan Love to come in and start Week One, 2020, he's gonna he's, he's gonna fail. Uh, yes. Believe me, I know this isn't the best case scenario, Armando. I'm just saying the best case scenario is out the window. That, that, yeah, you're back to Tua, brother. That's the, that's the best case scenario. A guy you can't rely on to stay healthy. That's that's scary to me, man. What's Okay, I presented one scenario. What's the counter? You, go ahead. I'm all ears. Oh, I, I ran through it. You, you signed Teddy Bridgewater and you draft Jordan Teddy Love. Bridgewater already said no to this situation. Why? Because he knew the Dolphins wanted to draft their forever-loving quarterback. So now Teddy Bridgewater, a year later, when he's actually put good games on tape, is going to say, okay, what I did last year, yeah, forget that. Uh, I'll come to Miami now, even though you're still going to draft your forever quarterback. Was that was that was that was that the reason you say no, or did he say no because of Jadavian Clowney reasons? And I'm not going to that dumpster fire. And I think if nothing else, Chris Greer, Chris Greer and uh, Brian Flores have proved themselves capable. Like it, 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 there's, a level, there's a level of competence that people were worried wasn't around this organization six months ago. Right? There, you, you don't think this – there are far bigger dumpster fires in the NFL than the Miami Dolphins. And we couldn't say that at the beginning of the season when they were losing 43 to nothing. So situations change, and the Dolphins have $120 million of cap space, and maybe free agents now to take a second look at this place. Now, again, I'm not saying it's a perfect plan. There is no perfect plan. That, that plan went out the window when they, lost three, when they won three games. It's, it, it is what it is. I – and maybe they do end up with Tua. Maybe we're, we're sitting here on May 1st writing Tua profiles and waving pom-poms and the saviors come and it's time for a championship. Jesus is coming? Yes. <laughs> he is. Might be the, only, the rapture is coming in April? Might be the only thing that saves this team. But uh, uh, oh it's possible that's, that's what happens. 
I would I would caution Dolphins fans that it's not a sure thing, even if Tua's on the board at four. Um, there's going to be a temptation to take him, but there's also going to be a temptation to say, guys, this is our one shot. We're one bad hit away from the unemployment line. Interesting. We'll speak more about these things as the weeks and months uh, creep up on us. This week, Adam Beasley, the Adam Gase rematch. The Dolphins do what in New York? Uh, they lose. Wow. And on that bright and cheerful note, <laughs> I wish to uh, thank you for tuning in to the Dolphins in Depth podcast. We'll be back next week, as we always are. Tune in then. Thanks, folks.